good morning, church. We are excited and glad that you're here this morning. And I hope that you are excited and glad to be here and excited to worship the Lord. As everyone makes their way in, finds a seat, we're going to begin this morning. We're going to begin with uh, scripture reading to prepare our hearts for uh, worship. So I'm going to read this morning from Psalm 145, the first seven verses. And the word of the Lord says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall, put, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, we, just, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in your name to worship you. Lord, we thank you for this congregation that is here, uh, both physically here and, uh, and joining us online. Lord, we just pray that you would just bless these families and you, that you would bless our worship of you today, God. Pray that you would guide us, Lord, that you would uh, just turn our hearts, our minds, our thoughts to you, God. Lord, that we might worship you in spirit and truth, Lord, that we would see you high and exalted. Lord, especially as we enter in, as we've begun this, uh, this Advent season and uh, anticipation, Lord, of, and of the promises and the, of, of hope that you have uh, that you gave to, to your people, uh, and that we see uh, as we read the Christmas story and we remember what that, uh, the, the coming of your son meant for us and the salvation that was made possible through Jesus Christ, Lord. And so we want to we worship you him today. We want to worship him today, God. And so uh, just guide us, and uh, we give you praise. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to begin this morning. We're going to sing, O Come All Ye Faithful. Happy morning, Jesus. 
Jesus, to Thee be all glory. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Let us adore Him, Christ. singing this morning church we're going to continue we're going to sing as we prepare for the lighting of the advent candle here in just a moment and it's being the second sunday of advent it is the bethlehem candle so we are going to sing uh, i apologize um Carolia, we changed it up we're going to sing a little town of bethlehem before we get to the advent candle so uh we're going to sing right now a little town of bethlehem town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by, yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortals sleep and angels keep their watch of wandering love. Oh, morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his hand. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning. We are the Lasso family. And we are going to be lighting the Bethlehem candle this morning. Uh, that represents faith. 
Today we light the Bethlehem candle, which symbolizes the longing of faith that God would keep his promise and bring about a savior from an obscure village in Israel, as it was prophesied in Micah 5, 1 and 2, and fulfilled in Matthew 2, 1 through 6. <clears throat> in our time, where small things are often overlooked, the fact that God shows a small village in which his son would be born grows our faith that God can use even those like us in announcing the good news of Jesus. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among, among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. His origins are from of old, from ancient times. Matthew 2, 1 through 6. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the gifts you bestowed on us as we get busy searching for that perfect gift for our family and friends. May we not lose sight of the perfect gift you've given us in your son. May we stay focused on you and deepen our faith as we draw near to the day we celebrate Jesus' birth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Wacho family. We're going to continue in our worship, and we're going to invite you to stand with us again as we sing, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun of love. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround thee, earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest. Thou our Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other. 
each other, lift us to the joy divine. Mortals join the mighty chorus, which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us, brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music lifts us sunward in the triumph song of life. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Isn't it a great day to serve the Lord? Every day is, right? Most of you or some of you, maybe none of you know me. I am Tim Giordano, and I've been a member here for a while. I wear many hats, and today I have the hat of messenger. A couple of things I want to talk about real quick is the attendance forms, these white pa papers that are somewhere in each of the rows you're sitting in. Take the opportunity to fill one out. Let us know you're here. Um, we also are uh, called our attention. We don't have communication cards, but if there's something you'd like to communicate, either a special prayer or a blessing, either on that sheet or on the back, put it on there so we know what's going on with your lives too. For those of you that are joining us online, we appreciate that you're here too. Uh, give us the opportunity to know you're here. Give us a phone call to the church office today during the week or email to let us know because we want to know that you're joining us and making it special for us also. Today or this month, the Missions Committee is pleased to announce that Russell and Sharla Wisner are missionaries of the month for December. Please pick up a prayer card. We have these prayer cards. Uh, as you leave today, they'll be in the back, and usually a member of the Missions Committee is there to greet you and make sure that you have one. And if you so choose, you could designate a gift to them on either the blue or white envelopes, depending on what you have, and just mark it MOM, acronym for Missionary of the Month, so that we know that it'll go to them. Our next family business meeting is next Sunday, December 12th, 2021, at 11 a.m. At this meeting, we'll approve budgets for 2022, hear reports from different uh, ministries, and in the bulletin today, you will see the ballot that you could uh, Read the list of people, members that are, uh, the nominating committee and the elders have said they approve that could serve in these positions. It's very important for your attendance, participation as a member, but if you aren't a member, don't feel excluded. We would welcome you to join us and see how church business is. It might encourage you to become a member. Also, mark your calendars now for our Christmas celebration. I read this and said, who doesn't like a good Christmas celebration, especially with family? That will be on December 19th, 2021 at, a, at 10 a.m. during our normal slightly delayed worship service. We'll have musical presentations, carol singing, and a Christmas message. Be thinking about who you can invite. We have all these extra chairs. 
for our guests and family members that we'd like to see back in here. So I think it would be great. I personally did not get a chance to see if Andrea Bamford is here. Does anybody know if she's here? Normally I see her sitting outside. Well, today would be the end of her 30-day observation as um, in becoming a member. She passed through. There were no objections, no concerns. And pastor and the elders would like to receive Andrea in your membership with the extend the right hand of fellowship to her, but I'm sure you will see this at a time when she shows up, when she's in attendance, I should say. Also today, we'd like to announce uh, Peter Sundahl has applied for membership. I saw him. I really hate to embarrass you, Peter, but could you stand up? Um, having known Peter since I've been here, <laughs> or know him enough that he's a very, very low-key figure, and having him stand up was putting him through a, a, probably more than he thought. But the elders and the deacons have recommended him uh, for membership, and he starts his 30-day. According to our official word is that he has confessed with his mouth Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and believe in his heart that God has raised him from the dead. So at this time... If you don't know him, take the time to know him. If you know something, I'm going to say if you know something that's really great about him, share it with everybody. Share it with everybody. Affirm him. We'd love to see him in our membership. Also, pastor's class, A Journey Through the New Testament, continues today at 11 in the music room. Today, they'll be in the book of Colossians, and he says, Pastor says there's still room in that classroom for anyone that wants to come in. Also, there is opportunity for you to serve in the fellowship ministry. Not room, because we're going to meet in a room, but there's opportunity for serving. Serving the body is very important. And it's, a, it's a fantastic ministry. And if you think about it, how many times have you walked out there and there's nothing? And you say, why hasn't somebody done something? That could just as well be me. Why haven't I done something? If you're so led, talk to Amy White. I'm, Amy, wave your hand. She's sitting in the back. I know exactly where she sits all the time. She's not embarrassed to stand up and be recognized. Thank you, Amy. Also, when we were talking about membership, there's a new membership class in January. It will be January 9th, 16th, and 23rd at 11 a.m., if you're interested in becoming a member of EFC Orville, this is an excellent opportunity to come and find out more about the EFC's local body and the church at large. Please see one of the elders. I don't see enough of them to have them all stand up, but they're here. If you can't find an elder, find me, and I'll take you to one. I'd be more than happy to do that. Also, our offering box that sits back here between the doors. You may not see it on the way in. Make sure you see it before you leave if you have an offering. You have multiple options for general other designations or write-in special ministries or missionaries. You can put that on the blue or the white envelopes. We also want to thank you for your faithful and generous giving to the church. Now we'll go to invocation. 
Today's passage is Psalm 61, and in reverence to God's word, I would ask you, if you're able to stand, to please stand so we can read God's word. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May, your, may his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. You can, go in, can sit and let's go into prayer. Father God, we confess our sins to you. We have not loved you as we should, served others as we should, and we have held back from trusting you completely. We confess that we are too far often afraid and angry and selfish. May the blood of Jesus cleanse us and may your grace empower us to live for you and your kingdom above all. Help us, O oh Lord, to know you more. May the Lord stir the church to return to the gospel truths of the Reformation. May the Lord free our hearts and minds from the idols we have created and seek to serve him alone in heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, as we prepare for the Advent season, may we have hearts ready to join in the Savior and ready to share with those around the good news of the gospel. We pray for the Supreme Court of our country as they deliberate in the case Dobbs versus Jackson's women's health. May these justices have the courage to stand up for the life of the unborn and end the violence of abortion in our land. Grant them the wisdom and repentance as they consider court cases that affect all of us. We pray for the persecuted church in China and North Korea May the Lord encourage, protect, and strengthen his children in the underground church to stand firm in the face of great hostility and persecution. We pray for the Lord's wisdom as we meet for our congregational meeting next week. May all that we do, plan, discuss, and decide be for his glory. We pray for those who cannot be with us this morning, who are ill, hospitalized, or homebound. May the Lord touch them with his mercy and comforting grace. May they feel connected to us through the online services. We also pray for those who have lagged in their church attendance in recent months. May the Lord stir in their hearts to return to the fold and overcome temptations to stay home and away from the flock. As for our offering, Lord, we lift it up to you. We ask you to bless it. And bless those who give and grant wisdom to our leaders as they steward these funds. May all of the resources of this church be used for his glory and for the blessings of the people. We also 
lift up Pastor Greg in the sermon this morning. May the joy of Advent come through as we begin a new series in God's holy word. May the word be open to us, and may our hearts be open to, to your word, our Lord. We also want to lift up those in our community and worldwide that struggle with a misconception of Christmas as they struggle to think they're providing for their family by overwhelming them with gifts, expensive things, that they come to the realization that the reason for Christmas is the indescribable gift that you gave us of your son, Jesus Christ, coming to earth to be with us and to show us that through him and salvation is our way to heaven. We lift all of these up to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. What a joyful time to celebrate the Lord's goodness and his beauty, the hope that we have in him. It's good for us to gather around this table on such a morning. George Sweeting was the former chancellor of Moody Bible Institute, and he told of a series of tornadoes that caused extensive damage in eastern Ohio and western Pennsylvania. Tragically, over 100 lives were lost. But prior to the storm, a man named David Kostka was umpiring a Little League baseball game in Wheatland, Pennsylvania. As he saw the black cloud coming and the funnel forming and moving towards the field, he rushed into the stands and grabbed his niece. He pushed her into a nearby ditch and covered her with his body. And the tornado passed over. And when the youngster looked up, her uncle was gone. He had given his life in the deadly storm to save her. Now, every illustration has its limits and its weaknesses. But this illustration reminds us that our sins deserve the coming wrath of God. But Jesus took the punishment in our place. And so this morning, all who confess Christ, faith in Christ as Savior and Lord are free to come to this table because he took it upon himself to bear the wrath of God to give his life that we might live. I'd like to share some thoughts from a book called Common Prayers, Resources for the Gospel-Shaped Gatherings. At the heart of the Christian life is active trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death for sin. In this symbolic meal, originating from the Lord's last supper with his disciples, we express and strengthen our trust in him as we eat and drink with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The Lord's Supper is an outward and visible sign of the grace shown to us in the death of our Savior. As we share the bread and the wine together, we are invited to feed on him in our hearts by faith, with thanksgiving. We are faced again with God's love for the unworthy and are strengthened by faith in the one whose body was given and whose blood was shed 
for us. Therefore, let us come with heartfelt repentance and genuine trust in the Lord Jesus, recognizing the significance of sharing this way. If in good conscience it would not be right for you to participate, please use these moments to reflect on God's love for us in Christ. We gain our instructions this morning from God's holy word as it is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which says the following. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself first. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Almighty and gracious God, the table that you have set before us calls us now to deepest ongoing remembrance of your death for us. And so now, Lord, may you quiet our hearts, still our souls, remove all distractions, so that when we take the bread, we remember your body hanging impaled, writhing in the darkness, as you who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And when we take the cup, O oh Lord, may we remember that you bled out on the cross for us as the perfect Passover lamb, paying an infinite price for our sin. May we partake of the bread and drink of the cup with perpetual, indelible, saving remembrance. In Jesus' name, amen. The servers will now serve us. The elements are contained in the pre-filled cups, both the bread and the wine. We will take it together after we've had a chance of singing to be reminded that we are part of the one family of God, eating from the one loaf and drinking from the one cup. And so let us sing joyfully as the elements are distributed. our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this bread of life and we drink of this sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the king the body of our savior jesus Jesus Christ torn for you. Eat and remember the wounds that heal, the death that brings us. 
every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember he drained death's cup that all may enter in to receive the life of God. So we share in this bread of life and we dream of this sacrifice of our bonds of grace around the table of the King. And so with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as his body here on earth. As we share in his suffering, we proclaim Christ will come again and will join in the feast of heaven. Around the table of the King, as we share in His suffering, we proclaim Christ will come again and will join in the feast of heaven. Around the table of the King. What I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat in gratitude to our great king. In the same way also he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us eat with gratitude for what our Christ has done. Drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In anticipation of the Lord's return and glory, we remember his first coming as the suffering Savior, and we vow to live in joyful obedience according to his word until we meet him face to face. Let us stand. The children are now dismissed for their classes, and let's sing our next song together. We're going to teach you all a new song this morning, a new Christmas song, as we reflect on the promises that were made in the Old Testament 
and the promises that we have of a hope in heaven, that Jesus came to be the hope for everyone. So it, it is new, but the melody is fairly simple. You should be able to pick up on it with this uh, pr pretty simple. sing there's hope for everyone to announce our king there's hope for everyone what good news they bring there's hope for everyone angels sing there's hope for everyone they came from afar there's hope for and saw the star there's hope for everyone shepherds heard the choir there's hope for everyone from afar there's hope for everyone we are waiting on the promise for the one who lights the darkness
Well, good morning, everyone. Just a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. It's been a full morning already, a lot of announcements, but I want you to take your bulletin and look at the back. And on the back, there's an advertisement for the women's event that is coming this next Friday evening. And it's going to be a great time of Easter celebration, I'm sorry, Christmas celebration for the women. You won't, you do pay attention. That's good for me. <laughs> They'd like to know how many are coming. And so, ladies, if you plan on being there, please let the women's committee know that you're coming so they know how many to prepare for. And bring a friend along, bring a relative along. Let's pack the place as they celebrate Christmas together. Uh, the second thing I want to bring to your attention is that many months ago, um, the concern was brought to the pastors and the elders, how can we have more participation in the 11 a.m. hour? And so that's what this survey is for that you have folded up in your bulletin. We're going to have it there for the next two weeks, and we really would like to hear from you. And so this is not something I want you to do now. I want you to take some time to think about it, to reflect about it, what we can do to improve our education and discipleship hour with different classes and, and different opportunities. So think through how you would participate or what you would like to see happen and turn it in. We're going to accept these through December 19th because then we can put them together and begin to make plans for the new year. So please prayerfully consider how you would be involved in that because I, what an opportunity we miss every week to gather at 11 a.m. to spend time with Fellowship of Saints, to learn more about the gospel, about fellowshipping with one another to be instructed from the Word of God. We miss out on that opportunity. And so we want to make, create more opportunities in where we can do just that. Well, in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, Bruce Larson tells the following story. He tells about a conference that there was at a Presbyterian church in Omaha, Nebraska. As the participants of the conference came into the sanctuary, they were given a helium-filled balloon and told them to release them at some point in the service when they felt like expressing joy in their hearts. Now, because this was a Presbyterian church, most of the people didn't feel the freedom to raise their hands or say amen or hallelujah. And so the releasing of the balloon would be a way for them to express joy in their hearts of something that had happened during the service. And so throughout the service, the balloons would arise up to the ceiling one by one. But what was amazing was that when the service was over, one-third of the balloons remained unreleased. Apparently, some people had found nothing for which to praise God during the service. And Larson concludes this illustration with his exhortation to believers, let your balloons go. You know, praise is an important part of the Christian life. And it's an important part of our worship of the living God. But let's begin with a definition this morning. What is praise? Praise is an act of worship that acknowledges the virtues and deeds of God. Acknowledges the virtues and the deeds of God. In other words, it's praise given to him for who he is. We might call that also adoration. 
We adore him because he is the king. He's our savior. He's our master. He's our Lord. But praise also includes for what he has done, which we might call thanksgiving. Praise is an act of worship that acknowledges the virtues and deeds of God. Now, praise itself can take many forms. It may include songs. It might include hymns. It might include the human voice. It might include musical instruments. There might be dance. There might be chanting, calling out, shouting out with joy, or other similar actions. But in the scriptures, we see that praise is often offered to God for his goodness, his holiness, his grace, his mercy. And praise is given to him for his acts of provision, salvation, forgiveness, and deliverance. But praise is an important part of the Christian life. It's an important part of what it is to be a member of God's family. And here we are now in the Advent season. And this should be a time of praise on the lips of all of us. In recent weeks as I was praying about what would be the focus of our attention during our teaching time during the Advent season, my, my attention was drawn again and again to the importance of praise in the Christmas story. As we look at the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, there are many acts of praise. There are hymns, there are chants, there are shouts, there are testimonies, there's, there's joy expressed in many different ways. And what binds them all together is their declarations of praise. And so we begin today our Advent series called Christmas Praises. And over the course of five different messages, we're going to look at the response of praise on the part of the main characters. And there's so much joy, there's so much praise, there's so much hope as we look at these different characters and the events surrounding them. And so my plea to you is do not let the familiarity of the story block you from being able to see anew and afresh the wonder of God sending his light into the world through his son, born as the babe of Bethlehem. My prayer is that the Lord will allow us to see afresh in a way that causes our heart to stir, that the hopes and fears of all the years are met in the one who took on flesh to bring us into a right relationship with a holy God. So over the next few weeks in this series, that will also include Christmas Eve and the day right after Christmas, we'll think of how praise has brought meaning to the message and it give us a deeper understanding of what do we mean when we say Merry Christmas. Well, the first character that we will look at today is Zechariah, this priest who became the father of John the Baptist. So I invite you to stand as we read his account this morning from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And the wonderful and lovely word of God says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, 
being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let us pray. Father, as we have read your word, we recognize that without you giving the understanding, this is just an exercise of academia. Father, we so desire to encounter you this morning through this word that you have given. And so would you guide all activities now as we prayed a few moments ago that you would banish all distractions, causing us to focus on you, that you might be given the glory for which you are due, and that we might see afresh the wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we now pray. Amen. Please be seated. As you follow along now in your sermon outline, as we work through this passage together, our first major point is the the promise is kept. The promise is kept. Now, before we get to the shout of praise by Zechariah, we need to summarize what has happened beforehand just a little bit. He's passed through nine months where he was silenced by God and unable to talk. Why did this judgment come? Well, Zechariah was a priest. And he had received the honor of a lifetime, one that would happen just once in his lifetime. The opportunity to offer the sacrifice in the holy place in the temple and to pray on behalf of the nation of Israel. And while he was in that holy place doing his spiritual duty, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him that his wife, who had been barren for years, would now give birth to a son. And though he had been a priest for many years, though he had been the one who had been an instructor of God's word to his people, when faced with this promise from the angel of the Lord, it was Zechariah who expressed doubt. It's as if that whispering voice that has continued from the time of the Garden of Eden, whispering, has God really said? And so this priest, who was in what should have been the highlight, the high point of his life, The one opportunity he would have because he came from a a contingent of 4,000. This was going to be his one chance to offer the evening sacrifice in the temple. Who had gone in there to pray for the people of Israel. A prayer that would include the salvation of the nation. Was surprised when he was visited by God who was responding to the prayer saying, I will bring a message of salvation. And so because he doubted, God gave him a time out whereby he would have to spend nine months not being able to speak. Imagine a priest not being able to speak. That was his primary responsibility, to preach and teach. Nine months zipped up. Nine months not able to talk to his wife. Nine months not able to talk about this ongoing pregnancy. Nine months not able to talk about the life of a priest. So finally, when it came time for the son to be born, he very quickly affirmed, 
what the angel had said to him in the temple, saying to those present at the naming of the child, his name is John. And we were told that immediately his tongue was loosened, allowing him to speak and bless God. We can only imagine that during the, this nine-month period that he would have probably thought a lot about the meaning of the birth of this son that was given to him and his up till then barren wife. To think a lot about the message that his son would bring. And in all this, we see the kindness of God. Yes, he did discipline Zechariah, but he also dealt kindly with him. You see, he was in the holy place, not the holy of holies, but he was in the holy place, and he had not listened to God. God could have taken him out right there, but instead wanted him to learn a lesson, and it seems that he learned it well. And we will find in this shout of praise in our passage this morning that he clearly and boldly will announce what God told him to do. I think we can learn from the lesson of Zechariah. At least I hope we will learn from the lesson of Zechariah. Because each one of us, if we have walked with the Lord for any period of time at all, have heard great promises from him, have seen great things in his word. And so at the moment of testing in our lives, whatever it might be, may not, that not be the time that we fall down, but that be the time that we boldly proclaim, showing that we take God at his word, that we really do believe what he says, willing even to act upon it. Well, as our passage begins this morning, the Spirit of God has come upon Zechariah, and under his power he begins to prophesy. Now, prophecy or to prophesy can take on two main meanings, both in the Old and in the New Testament. It can mean to foretell future events, what is going to happen, or it can foretell, boldly preach the truth of God. We might say it another way, to prophesy is to tell what is going to happen, or to teach what is the truth of God. To go one step further, or at least to give another example of how to understand these two fa phases, if you will, facets of prophecy, prophecy can be to promise or to proclaim. Now, in the context of the New Testament, prophecy also includes the bold preaching of the Word of God, the bold preaching of the Gospel. And we see all these elements coming together in this shout of praise from the lips of Zechariah. And so as he is under the power of God the Holy Spirit, he begins to prophesy and he announces a blessed visitation. A blessed visitation. In the history of the church, this shout of praise on the part of Zechariah has been called the Benedictus. It draws this name from the Latin translation of the Bible, where the first sentence is translated, Benedictus esto dominus Deus Israelis, rendered accurately in our Bibles as, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And so we might say today we should just call it blessed. We'll refer to this song as blessed. But I think we all agree that Benedictus just has a more regal sound to it. So our text begins, whether his prophecy begins with, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited his people. That means he has looked upon them. He has seen their situation and what they are doing. Now, throughout the scriptures, a visitation from God can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. So, for example, his visitation among his people was a good thing when he delivered them out of their bondage in Egypt. It was a good thing when during the time of Ruth, he visited his people and gave them bread. But it was a negative thing when he visited 
the people of Sodom and Gomorrah in judgment. Here Zechariah is blessing God for a good visitation. God has looked upon his people. He sees them in their distress. And so not only will he visit them, but he will redeem them. He shows them his grace. He looks upon them with favor. And we could translate that verse, that little subclause that says, and redeemed with this phrase, he paid the price or he has ransomed them. A ransom, as you know, is paid to set another person free who is in bondage. And the people of Israel in the first century were in bondage to their sin and their rebellion and their refusal to follow the, the precepts of God. They were also in political bondage to the Romans. And in God's perfect timing, he will cover both. His redemption does include both the spiritual and the physical, though not always at the same time or in the same way. So what's the redemption referred to here? And when did this redemption take place? Well, I think the context makes it clear. It comes from the announcement that salvation is coming through the house of David. With the announcement of the angel. And we combine it with the other announcements that the angels made to the different characters in the Christmas story. This redemption refers to the Messiah who is coming. The Messiah who will be announced by this son of Zechariah, by John. His visitation then is God's favor upon his people who's been sent into the world. And of course, Jesus as the ultimate redeemer, the one who is announced, will accomplish ultimate redemption of all that was lost in the fall, spiritual and physical. But as he came in first century Palestine, he came to be a redeemer to deliver people from their sins. So we have this promise of a blessed visitation, and then we have a reference to a strong horn. Now, in the scriptures, the horn is always seen as a sign of strength. It is possible that Zechariah, being the priest that he was, would have known a number of promises from the Old Testament, one of which is included in Psalm 148, which says, He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Certainly, this was the image that was often used about God raising up someone who would deliver people in a particular time of bondage. Zechariah being a priest, of course, would have come from the house of Levi, but he knows the word of God that the promise of the Messiah will come from the house of David, a promise that was given centuries before through Nathan to David. We, we see that recorded in 2 Samuel 7, a passage perhaps you might want to look at this week of the promise of a son who will inherit the throne of his father David and reign forever. people of Zechariah's day, they knew that the Messiah would come through the house of David. They were longing for it. Their problem, of course, was they misunderstood the nature of the redemption, the nature, nature of the salvation he would bring, and the reason for his first coming to earth. They would find out in due course. Now, there's one thing that, that intrigues me, and that is that Mary has just left. We'll, talk, we'll look at the story of Mary next week. But Mary has just left. She spent three months in verse 56 with Zechariah and John. And then she leaves. And then Ze uh, Elizabeth gives birth to John. But this reference to raising up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David in Psalm 69 leads many commentators to think that Mary herself was a direct, in the direct line of, 
of David. And so it's possible then, if that is the case, that there's a double fulfillment, as it were, that Jesus would come from the house of David, that he would be the the adopted son, as it were, of Joseph, who clearly did come from the line of David. But if Mary herself was from that line, then there was, in a sense, a double fulfillment, legally and literally, that Jesus would be a son of David. This strong horn that has come because a promise has been kept because there is a sure word. And we notice in verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Now, there's a lot to address in this one verse. But first we see that it is God who has spoken. It is God who has pronounced these things so that we can be sure if God says it, it's going to happen. And I find it interesting that Zechariah, under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, picks up the collective nature of these prophets by emphasizing the fact that God spoke through the mouth. Singular, not the mouths, plural. God is the one who has raised up these prophets one after the other. God is the one who has spoken through them. God doesn't speak with a forked tongue saying something here and saying something else there. That God is the one so that the attention is continually drawn to him. He is the one who raised up and they spoke as it were as one mouth, the message of God. And they were called the holy prophets. Now, in the scriptures, holiness takes on two meanings. You may sometimes wonder, you read through the accounts in the temple and it talks about the holy cups and the holy vessels and the holy robes and the holy sacrifices. And you say, well, how can things be holy? Well, because holiness means to be set apart for God's purpose to be used in a special purpose in the service of God. And so these things are holy because they're useful for him and his service. That's the first meaning. The second meaning of holiness is to actually take on the character of holiness without sin, without stain, being perfect. Of course, God is perfect and holy in his nature, but anything that God sets apart for his service is also holy. And so I think that's the meaning here. These prophets were holy because as they spoke, as it were, with one voice and one mouth, they were the servants of God. Now, we would hope that they were, in fact, holy in their behavior. But initially, they were set apart for a holy purpose. And you know, my friends, it's the same for us today. In Christ, we have been set apart. That's what it means to be taken out of the world, to be placed into the body of Christ. We are now holy in our position. We are set apart for God's service. And so we are to be holy instruments in his hand. But as he works in and through us, and as we are called to be imitators of God, as we are called to understand the word of God, we should be coming actually holy in our behavior So you see the two meanings there, and they're both true of the prophets, and they're both true of us today. That's why we can take on the name saints. That's what we're called in the New Testament, because we are set apart for a holy purpose. And as we are fulfilling that holy purpose under the power of God, we should actually be becoming saintly, holy in our behavior. So notice these prophets speaking, as it were, with one voice. They were set apart for God's purpose. They're speaking from of old. God has been at this from a long time. All of the prophets, from the time he raised them up until John, 
were speaking of this one message that would be to come, that a Messiah would come to redeem God's people. And the early church understood this. Peter, as he is preaching in a context of Gentiles, he's preaching concerning Jesus and the prophets in Acts chapters 10 says this, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Jesus himself understood this because at the end of the gospel of Luke, he goes on a little stroll with some men and gives them a great Bible study showing that all the scriptures point to him. God has always spoken with one voice, one clarion message that he will redeem and save his people for his eternal glory. And that's the sure word that is kept. A saving word, a strong word, a faithful word with praise given to his name. The promise is kept. Secondly, we see that salvation is given. Salvation is given. After the announcement of God's visitation, that there would be a horn of salvation born from the house of David, there's this great promise that is given of hope for all the people of God, that the, that the Messiah is now here. And what's the nature of this salvation that the Messiah would bring? Well, first it is to deliver us. You see it right there in the text, don't you? That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, in the first instance in this context, as we look at what will come in the rest of the text, as we look at the life of Jesus, in the first instance, this salvation is spiritual. It's salvation from our sin nature, from sinners, from the devil, from those spiritual forces that are hostile to the ways of God. And we know this because when the angel appeared to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, he gave the reason for why Jesus would come and why his name would be Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. And at that time, the angel said, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so in the first instance, it's salvation from the wreckage, the spiritual wreckage that sin has caused. Now, of course, as I have said, God is a full service redeemer. And he is going to fully redeem all that was lost in the fall. And so there is going to be physical deliverance, physical protection for his people. That's the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no unrighteousness. All will be perfect and useful for God's purposes. So first, this salvation is given to deliver us. Secondly, to display his mercies. We see it in verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Now we need to think about the mercy of God. And then think about the fact that we're still here. If God is not merciful, then his people will not survive. No one will survive if God is not merciful. But God is merciful. But he's the one that's merciful. He's the one that's gracious. And we can make no demands upon his mercy, nor can we make demands upon his grace. We can only be the joyful recipients of both and amazed that people like us can worship the God in spirit and truth. When Moses saw the glory of God, what did God tell him? He said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God is merciful because it is his nature to be merciful and not because of our merit to get mercy. 
if we got what we really deserved, what we really merited, it would not be mercy. It would be justice. And aren't we glad that the message of Christmas is that God has visited and redeemed his people and shown his mercy. We're told that he remembered his holy covenant towards his people, given through the prophets and the patriarchs. He keeps his promises because he is good. And he's the ultimate and really the only promise keeper. He remembers his covenant and an oath that he swore to Abraham. A covenant is agreement between two parties. It's this, notice that as Zechariah is speaking here, he goes past David. He goes past Moses. He goes all the way back to Abraham, the one to whom God said, through you, through your line, all the nations will be blessed. And we know then that the ultimate line from, or the ultimate descendant from the line of Abraham is Jesus Christ, who is the seed of Abraham. And that's why we can be called the children of Abraham today if we are in Christ. This oath that God swore is found in Genesis 12. It was reaffirmed in Genesis 22 where God says, I will keep my covenant, an oath that I swore to keep. And if God has given it, we don't have to worry about it not coming to fulfillment. So in just a few sentences, think of all of the history of the hope that, and of the people of Israel. In just a few sentences, we have a mention of the house of David and of Abraham. And both of those great promises find their fulfillment in the one that Zechariah's son would announce. You see, later when, when Jesus would talk about John the Baptist, he would say, among those born of women, no one is more blessed than John the Baptist. Now you see why. He gets to be the one that announces how the promise given to David, how the oath given to Abraham come fulfilled in the son of Mary, in Jesus. And John gets to announce that. What a great blessing. But don't stop there, my friends, because it's even better for us. Because Jesus goes on and says, but the one who is in the kingdom of God is even greater. And so we can be the sons of Abraham and have an even greater heritage and privilege and responsibility to continue to announce that good news today. But notice, it's God who is doing it. You see it very clearly in your Bibles. To grant us. To grant us. What does it mean to grant? It means to give. There's no initiative taken on the part of the recipient. There's only the initiative taken on the part of the giver. And all of salvation from beginning to end is a gift from God. To grant us, it says at the end of verse 73. Whatever it was that Zechariah was going to receive by believing the promises of God, whatever we receive today by believing the promises of God, is because it's been granted to us as a gift by God who is ultimately in control. To show that there's nothing that we can do or earn to bring about our own salvation. It's deliverance that will come completely and fully because of God who grants great things to his people. And therefore then we keep the perspective in its proper order. All praise and glory is given to him. And why does he grant? Why does he display his mercy that we might serve him? 
without fear. When God, through Moses, rebuked Pharaoh, he kept telling him, let my people go that they might serve me. And that exodus was a great redemption. It it actually became the, the sign of redemption or the symbol of redemption that would go through the rest of Scripture. And now in Christ, we have a greater redemption because Christ has set us free from sin, set us free from the devil as he called us out of darkness into his glorious light, as he gave us the new birth that we might believe in him. It's as if he was saying, I have set you free, I have delivered you, that you might serve me. And that is our job today, as it were, because he's purchased us. We belong to him. He paid the ransom for us. We belong under his leadership and tutelage. He has redeemed us that we might serve him and to serve him in a way that is worthy. I'm going to just... Press ahead just a moment so that we can get through our, in our time this morning. But let's talk about freedom. What does it mean to be free? The greatest freedom is ultimately being set free from sin, set free from bondage that we might serve God. That is the ultimate and true freedom. And we can have it. Whatever the measure there might be or not be of political freedom, we are free to worship God. And the persecuted church around the world proves that every Sunday when they meet regularly. And we can prove it by meeting regularly as well. But we serve him without fear because we want to serve others. That greatness comes from serving the Lord and from serving others, not from seeking to be served or from serving ourselves. And as we do that in holiness and righteousness, it shows that he's at work in us. That he is affecting us by the power of the gospel and transforming us. That we might be those set apart servants who are serving him, but also growing in his character. That we will serve him in holiness and in righteousness. And notice that it happens before him. Coram Deo reformer said literally means before the face of God we need to be aware that everything that we do in every moment and every circumstance and every day is quorum Deo before his face and we are to serve him he has set us free that we might serve him in holiness and righteousness because we are before him always and how will that affect then what our worship and service to him looks like at 8 a.m. Tuesday morning. What will it look like when we get the phone call from the doctor's office we didn't want to get? What will serving him in holiness and righteousness mean when we have a fender bender in the parking lot Thursday at noon? When we are always quorum Deo. So not just when we gather at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning, but the text goes on and says all our days. All our days are to be used in service for him in holiness and in righteousness. We practice this worship and service quorum Deo because he has redeemed us. That's the purpose for which he has redeemed us. 
And then we get to our third point, which Zechariah announces that a prophet is sent. And he begins now to speak to his child, of course, who would not understand at this time, but it was written for our benefit that we would understand the purpose for which this child was sent. That, of course, John would, raise, would be raised up hearing, and that is that he would be serving one of two main purposes, actually both of two main purposes. He would prepare the way. And notice the statement here, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Now, we get so used to that saying that we forget the import of it. There had been silence from God for 400 years. There had been no prophet of God. And now Zechariah, led by the Spirit of God, turns to his son and said, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. If you're not getting tingling right now, going down your spine, are you listening to what is happening here in redemption history? God intervening in space and time so that his message will go forward. Surely there would have been passages we could turn to that would talk about how this was fulfilled in the life of John. We won't have time to look at it this morning, but you might note a couple of them. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and Malachi 3, 1, which predicts, that one would come to announce the Messiah before he appears and shows up in his temple. What's going through Zechariah's mind at this point? As the Spirit is causing him to give utterance of these amazing prophecies over his son. My son, my son, you, my son, you're going to be the fulfillment of these promises of God. You will prepare the way of the Lord. And those were the last words that the people of God had heard 400 years before in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that Elijah, and you know John came in the spirit of Elijah, would come and announce the coming of the Lord so that the hearts of fathers would be turned to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest God said, I strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And as Elijah came... The spirit of Elijah came on John and announced that Jesus had come and the people of Israel rejected them. What happened? Utter destruction to their land. As in 70 AD, the temple was raised and the Jews were sent into exile. God's word will come true because he is true and his words are truthful. So first of all, he prepares the way. Secondly, he proclaims the truth. To give knowledge, we are told in the text, of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins. This would almost be a direct quote from the new covenant as promised through the prophet Jeremiah in 31-34. Where the people under the new covenant would know the Lord. A personal, intimate, direct relationship with the Lord with the result being the forgiveness of their sins that God would not remember anymore. This message of speaking as one voice through the prophet's of the Messiah that would come as a result that his people will know God and be forgiven of their sins as a result because of his grace and mercy. So a prophet is sent. And then lastly, we have mercy that gives and guides. Because, all of this will happen because, verse 78, of the tender mercy of our God. Once again, we see the connection between God's mercy and his compassion and the forgiveness of sins. What's interesting is the word that is used here for the tender mercy of God, that phrase tender mercy, is literally bowels of compassion. 
Now, that's not usually how a grandmother takes her grandson into her lap and says, I have bowels of compassion for you. But in the ancient figurative language, that's what it meant, that from the very core of our being, compassion flows out of God. And because of those compassionate impulses of God, we can be set free and redeemed and forgiven and delivered. And the result of that mercy is light in the darkness. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The word here is day spring. It really is just those first rays of sunlight that come with the dawn. The heavenly light is visiting now upon the darkness of the earth, granting light to those who are in darkness, giving peace to their souls. It was predicted that this would come in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. It said, but you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Think of that, the image of the calf set free, running. That's the image of the redemption we have in Christ. Because the day spring, the dawn, the light has shone. Let me just pass over to our next point here. Peace on the path. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God speaks with one voice. This could almost be a verbatim quote from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, which says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of darkness, on them has light shone. The light has come through the Messiah that was promised, who was given, that would bring deliverance and redemption for people, forgiveness of sin, which the result is that we have peace with God. That's what the human heart longs for, to be at peace with God, which can only come through faith in Jesus Christ, which can only come by recognizing he has paid the price for our sins. And has lived the righteous life that God requires. And our sin is placed on him. And his righteousness is placed on us. And the result is God looks at us and says, my child. And we have peace with him. To be guided in the path of peace is to know God in a real and personal way through Jesus Christ. Who alone can reconcile us, forgive us of our sins, and put us in a right relationship before him. The great Puritan commentator J.C. Ryle summarizes this prophecy of Zechariah and what was predicted of the way of the Messiah. He said this, Mercy and grace will he give to all who call on Christ's name. Let us never rest till the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that our sins are forgiven, that we have passed from darkness to life, and that we are actually walking in the narrow way, the way of peace. My friends who are here, And those that are joining online, and all within the sound of my voice, is that your experience this morning? Do you know the way of peace? Have you cried out to God to have mercy on you, a sinner, to have the application of this deliverance in Christ brought to your soul? If not, I call on you now. In your heart of hearts and say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
And I thank you that you can give me peace through Jesus Christ. I confess my sins and turn away. Say, oh, Jesus, take control of my life. After the message is over and we've sung our final song, I'm going to remain up front. If you'd like to come and ask any questions about what I've just said or have any time to pray with me, I'd be glad to receive you here. As we conclude in our text, we see in verse 80 that John grew in strength and spirit, notice, until the day of his public appearance to Israel. I love how God again and again take, goes to great care, as it were, to show us right down to the details, he's in charge. And this John, who was given as a gift to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who would pr proclaim the forerunning of the Lord, would remain in obscurity until the day, the day set by God, when he would come forward and pronounce, prepare ye the way of the Lord, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, as we think about today's message, as we think about Advent, what are some application points we can take away to wrestle with in this coming week? The first one is God keeps his promises. Let me say that again. God keeps his promises. So believe him. What his word says, believe, receive, and act upon. Because he'll never fail. Secondly, in his mercy, he has saved us for service. Service to him and service to others. I need to look at my own life. During this coming week, I pray you look at your life and analyze yourself. Whether you want to give yourself an A, B, C, D, or F, whether you want to go from a scale of 1 to 10, look at your life honestly and say, in the use of your time, talents, and treasures, are you serving others? Or are you serving yourself? Thirdly, John fulfilled his role in proclaiming Jesus. How are we doing? Because we know this stuff now. Some of us have known it for decades. This is something that we share as a way of life because the world is at the tipping point about over 8 billion people might have already crossed and most of them don't know Christ. Are we involved in sharing at least the few that we know around us that don't know Christ? Remember last week I asked you to pray for two or three that they would hear about Christ during the Advent season. John fulfilled his role. Let's be found faithful before God as well. Because the truth of God brings light and peace. Is that true of you? Are you walking in the light? Do you know the peace of God? Let us pray. Father, what a great God you are. And what a great salvation you have given us in Christ. So Father, we just want to first stop and, and give you praise. Praise from the depths of our hearts and our minds. We want to serve you. We want to say thank you for opening our eyes to see, for delivering us from darkness, and we want to praise you. And then we want to turn and we want to ask your forgiveness for those times we've fallen short, doing what we should not have done, not doing what we should have, not using words appropriately. And we just turn to you and say, oh, thank you for your mercy. We confess our sins. 
and we apply to ourselves the message of Advent that in your mercy you set us free from sin and give us forgiveness. And we thank you for that great forgiveness. And Father, will you keep our hearts attuned to you during this Advent season that we might proclaim you well and we might enjoy you more deeply as we commit ourselves to you now anew and afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us and sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. stay around to fellowship with the saints as we get a chance to encourage one another getting to see each other this unique opportunity given to us each Sunday I will have my pastor's class at 11 a.m. for those that can stay around and I will be up front for those that would like to come forward and just pray and go to the Lord together 
And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let us go in peace and have a wonderful Lord's Day. Thank you.